All right, well, it's, as I mentioned, it's good to be with you. Uh, it certainly is a privilege to preach here this weekend. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but technology, uh, for me, I've got some issues with technology, but there's also some tremendous blessings with technology. And one of the blessings is that over the course of the last couple months, I've been able to follow along as your pastors have been preaching through this sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And so I've listened to many of the sermons as I've been preparing, and uh, it's been a, a great source of encouragement to me. If you've been here at Cornerstone, then you know that the content has definitely been deep and rich. It's been theological. It's been heavy. Uh, Pastor Tim has regularly reminded us to come prepared to dive into the scriptures and to engage our minds. And uh, we're going to be doing the same thing today together. Uh, I spend the majority of my time ministering to college students and on the college campus. And as we're preparing content, as we're thinking about Bible studies and discipleship groups, one of the things that we regularly, the language kind of that we regularly use is, is it 200 level or 300 level or 400 level or 100 level content? And I would say that this sermon series is probably at least 300 or 400 level, if not graduate level content. Uh, so I say that not to scare you or to intimidate you, uh, but really I want to I exhort you to actually engage your minds here today uh, with me as we look at really, we're just going to look at two, two verses in Romans chapter 8, but they're deep verses. To give you some perspective, uh, one pastor said of this passage when preaching through it, he said, we'll do the best we can. This is a deep passage. It's a profound one. It's a rich one. And then he said, and every time I open to this passage, I sort of expect my Bible to bleed because this passage has been cut to ribbons so many times. Well, uh, let me encourage you. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. You've been learning about the Holy Spirit. And one of the things uh, hopefully that, that you guys recall is that the Spirit helped to inspire the, word, the very words of God there in, in the Bible. And he spoke through men as they writ, wrote the Bible. And not only does the, the Spirit help to write the Bible, but the Spirit also helps us to interpret the Scriptures. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.12, he says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. See, this is important because it means that not only did the Spirit help to write the Scriptures, but that He helps us to understand them. And so with that being said, let me go ahead and pray for us and pray that the Spirit would help us together. God, what a privilege it is to be here, to open up Your Word. We pray that You would speak to us, that You would help us to understand some of these great, rich, deep truths about the Holy Spirit and how they can be applied to our lives. Lord, we pray that uh, you would be present in this time, that you would speak through me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, it has the ability to transform us, and so we, we pray that you would be present here uh, today, Lord. We ask this in your name, amen. All right, I want you to think for a second. Have you ever wrestled with one of the following questions? Does God care about me? Is God actually concerned with my life? Is God really for me? You know, I, I think if we're honest, that we've all at one moment or another thought one of those questions or maybe a similar question like that. And I think at times, sometimes those aren't just questions, but they can morph into accusations where we start to, we start to wonder, God, you're, you're not really for me, are you? Or God, why would you let this happen? if you're actually 
good and want to give me good. Now, in, in one sense, I think it's important that we bring those questions to God. But I also think it's important that we're careful because uh, those are dangerous things to, to consider and to ponder. And if we're not careful, they can begin to drive a wedge between us and the Lord. You know, the truth is that many of these questions and statements are really a direct attack against the character of God. In fact, I would argue that, uh, I would argue that perhaps uh, most of these moments in our lives happen when we experience uh, the greatest moments of weakness and temptation. If you're wondering, when, when have you thought those things? Because I think we've all thought them at, a certain at certain times. I think at least in my experience, it's some of the greatest moments of weakness and temptation. And I, interestingly enough, if, I would argue that one of the greatest moments of human weakness and temptation that we have in, throughout redemptive history occurred in the Garden of Eden. Think about this for a second. Was it not Satan in the Garden who spoke to Eve? If you remember, what, what was the question that Satan spoke to Eve? Well, he said, did God really say this? Well, think about that question. What Satan was really saying is, Eve, can you really trust the character of God? Is God really good, or is God actually withholding something from you? We all know, of course, what happened, that Adam and Eve both ate from the fruit. They questioned God. They, they concluded that, I don't think God is actually for me. You know, this very question and some of its derivatives aren't foreign to us. I think they're not foreign to us, those of us who are Christians and those of us who are maybe investigating Christianity. I think we've, we all wrestle through these questions. Yet the Christian has the very word of God, the truth of God's word to, to help us to answer these questions. And Paul in Romans chapter 8, the chapter that we're going to be in today, mentions in, in verse 31, he ad directly addresses this very concern. And he says this in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, in one sense, the entire eighth chapter of Romans, you could even say the entire book of Romans is written partially to help explain how God is for the Christian. Romans 8 is this beautiful picture of how God the Father, God the, the Son, and also God the Spirit are all at work for our good and for the glory of God. So, unfortunately, we don't have, we don't have time to walk through the entire 8th chapter of Romans, but we are going to focus on two verses, verses 26 and 27, and particularly these two verses because they directly address the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit of God is for us. So let me go ahead and read Romans 8, 26 and 27. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If you're taking notes or following along in the outline I've divided this sermon into three questions. The first question is, who does the Spirit help? The second is, why does the Spirit help them? And third, how does the Spirit help them? So if you're following along, hopefully that will be helpful. The first question, who does the Holy Spirit help? Well, the, simp the simple answer to this question 
is that the Spirit helps those who belong to the Lord. The Spirit helps those who are sons and daughters of God. Verse 27, Paul mentions this. He says that the Spirit intercedes for the saints. This should be great news for those of us who are in Christ, who have trusted in Christ and turned and repented of our sins. This should encourage us that the Spirit is for us. You know, it's my experience, I don't know if you can relate to this, but from my own experience and from experience of other Christians, that we have a, a much easier time explaining how God the Father and how God the Son are for us as Christians. You know, I think if I pulled the room here and said, hey, give me some examples of how the Father and the Son are for us. I think I'd hear things like, you know, the Father was for us in creation. He created us. He gave us life. The Father gave us the Ten Commandments so that we could know how to obey Him and walk with Him. The Father also gave us the Son. You know, he gave us Jesus, His own Son, so that we could have life. In the same way, if I asked you about Jesus, how is Jesus for us? I think you'd say, well, Jesus, He lived a, the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. And when, and when He rose from the grave, He conquered sin and death and Satan. I think those would be common answers, but I, I wonder if I ask the question, tell me how the Spirit of God is for us. I wonder if there'd be a lot of silence. I wonder if there'd be a lot of minds kind of stirring and searching. I know, again, I spent a lot of time with college students. I think if I threw this question out to them, how is the Spirit of God for you? I think, honestly, I'd probably get a lot of blank stares. Uh, I think a lot of them would, would be confused. They'd be like, I don't even know how to describe the, the Spirit. I think some of them would uh, probably think that the Spirit is more like the Force from Star Wars, where it's sort of this power that's out there and uh, hard to kind of understand, and maybe only a few unique people like Yoda and Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker actually have any idea how to control the Force and use it. Um, and, and I think that's, that's kind of how they would think about the Spirit. Well, I'm thankful that your pastors here at Cornerstone are preaching through this series because I, th I think one of the reasons is because they've recognized this issue among Christi Christians today, that we can often easily explain how the Father is for us and how the Son is for us, but not necessarily the Spirit. As I've been listening to this sermon series along with you, uh, there's been a number of things that have been mentioned about how the Spirit the Spirit's role and what He does and the person of the Spirit, I just want to remind you a few of those things. The Spirit gives you spiritual life. This is what we call regeneration, the doctrine of regeneration. What that means is that you were dead in your sin and you needed the Spirit of God to breathe life into you. The Spirit of God does that. Not only that, but the Spirit conforms you to the image of Christ. He sanctifies you. He changes you. He makes you more like Jesus. The Spirit also is involved in our adoption. He seals us. He empowers us. And Matthew talked last week about how the Spirit gives us spiritual gifts as Christians. Just think about this for a second. If the Holy Spirit was not active in drawing you to Christ, you wouldn't be here. You'd be far from Christ, far from the Lord if not for the Spirit's work. Think about this, if the Spirit wasn't living and dwelling inside of you, helping you to wage war against your flesh, then you'd be stuck in your sinful ways. You'd be wandering from God. I, I hope you've seen just the deep and meaningful ways that the Spirit of God is for the Christian and for our good. That should be great news for us. It should be an encouragement to us. 
couple applications point, application points. If you're wondering, what does this mean for me? How does this influence my life? Well, I just would ask you today, do you believe that God is actually for it, for you? Do you believe that he's for the Christian? And then I'd also ask you, how often have you thanked God for the Spirit's work in your life? I just, in reflecting on my own prayer life, I pray for a lot of different things, and I just, as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, I, I don't often thank God for the Holy Spirit. And the more that I study and the more that I, I read and understand the Scriptures, I'm amazed at how active and involved the Spirit is in our lives and in the world today. The second question that we, I want to address with us is why does the Holy Spirit help us? So if we know that the Holy Spirit helps us as Christians, well then, why does the Holy Spirit help us? Well, look at the beginning of verse 26. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. See, the fact that the Spirit of God is helping us implies that we need help, that there's something lacking in us. You know, I have a two-year-old daughter named Abigail, and uh, over the last eight or nine months, as she's learned to talk, uh, and she talks a lot, she's definitely a chatterbox, and she'll tell you that, but as she's learned to talk, one of the things that we've, we kind of taught her early on is how to ask for help. And so we've taught her how to, initially it was just kind of daddy help or mommy help, now it's kind of developed into, you know, mommy, can you help me, please? Or daddy, can you help me with this, please? And uh, often she's coming to, to us as her parents asking for some kind of help. And, and these days it's, it's usually something like a little container of Play-Doh. And so she'll bring, you know, bring us a little container of Play-Doh and she'll say, you know, daddy, help me, please. And I'll, I'll take the little container of Play-Doh, I'll pop off the lid, and I'll scoop out the Play-Doh, and I'll hope that it doesn't get mixed with all the other colors, uh, but I'll give her the Play-Doh to play with. And it's a simple illustration, but the fact that I'm helping her is an indication that she what? She needs help. It's, it's, it's an indication that there's something she can't do. She can't pop off the lid, she's not strong enough to do that, and she's not... Uh, she, she hasn't figured out how to actually scoop out the Play-Doh. And so when we look at this text, what Paul's saying, it's a simple truth. But the fact that the Spirit of God is helping us is an indication that we have weakness and that we need his help. I want you to stay with me because what I'm about to say might be the most significant thing that I say today. You see, understanding our weakness is fundamental to understanding what it means to be a Christian. I would argue that you can't fully grasp the beauty of the gospel if you don't first grasp the extent of your weakness before God. I'm gonna say that one more time. I don't think you can fully grasp the beauty of the gospel if you don't first grasp the extent of your weakness before God. You see, the glory of the cross doesn't really make any sense if we don't see our need for the cross. We don't understand that we were spiritually dead before a holy and righteous God, then why do we need Christ? Why do we need the Spirit to come and breathe life into us? If we think we've got it all together, then what's the point? See, we've got to understand our weakness, our need for Christ. So what specifically in this passage is Paul referring to? If we understand there's... This weakness is important, and we need help. 
What does he say about this idea of weakness? Well, the short answer is that Paul is talking about both a physical and a spiritual limitation that we experience in this life. Where do we see this? Well, if you look just a few verses prior, verses 22 and 23 of, the, of Romans chapter 8, Paul is encouraging Christians. He's encouraging him, them. He's saying, in the midst of much trial and affliction, I want to offer you great hope. And this is what he says in verses 22 and 23. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What does it mean that we're awaiting the redemption of our bodies? Well, Paul's saying that there are physical and spiritual limitations that the Christian is going to experience, and really all individuals are going to experience in this life. And that we should be longing, that he says that the creation is longing for redemption, and then he also says that the Christian is longing for redemption. And we're going to see in just a few moments that not only does the creation groan, not only does the Christian long for this redemption, but that the Spirit himself also longs for this type of redemption. And so there's a longing for a final physical and spiritual transformation to take, take place. What does this look like? What does weakness look like for us? Well, I think it means simple things like the process of aging. You know, I, I yesterday drove from North Carolina to Pennsylvania. It's about an eight-hour drive, and uh, the drive went well. Everything kind of went smoothly. Got in last night, went to bed, woke up this morning, and uh, went and spent a little time working out in the morning. And pretty quickly I realized my neck is hurting. Uh, I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's from the car ride or the pillow or what, but my neck's hurting. And I, I'm not 30 yet, but I'm, I'm getting close to 30. And I just have experienced, even in the last you know, handful of years, I'm aging. I know a lot of you are uh, potentially laughing at that. But I think hopefully you can relate to the process of aging. My wife jokes with me consistently, you know, as we spend time on the college campus building relationships with college students, we do a lot to try to uh, get to know them. And so I'm regularly playing pickup basketball or playing intramural sports or we're throwing a dodgeball tournament. And the worst is the dodgeball tournament because when you're playing dodgeball, you are exerting all possible force and energy into just your arm to throw, the, throw a ball. And, uh, and often at the end of these dodgeball tournaments for the next three or four days, my entire arm and the, my right side is aching because of, uh, because of throwing, throwing a dodgeball over and over and over again. Those are just small examples of how we see that we have physical limitations in this life. You know, I know we can laugh about some of these things, but uh, I would say that many of our physical limitations are the greatest sources of grief and sorrow and trial that we experience in this world. Think if, if I polled this room and asked, how have you experienced physical suffering or watched others experience physical suffering? I think there'd be things said like, wow, I've watched people struggle with debilitating migraines or autoimmune conditions or chronic pain. You know, if you looked at the bulletin today, you'd see that there are a number of prayer requests. And a number of those prayer requests de deal directly with the physical limitations and weaknesses that we experience in this life. You know, this hits home for, for Jamie and I in a personal way, my wife and I. 
When we were first married, we've been married for a little over four years, and when we were first married, we joined a life group from our church. And when we joined this group, there was a, it was kind of an intergenerational group. Uh, there were some couples and singles, and the, the couple that kind of organized it and led the group or hosted it in their home was this couple, J.D. and Sandy Lawson. They were in their late 60s, early 70s, and, you know, every Friday night we'd gather together, we'd have dessert, we'd uh, fellowship together, we'd pray together, we'd open up the scriptures together for a couple hours, and then we'd, we'd go our separate ways. And it was, it was just a great source of joy for our first year of marriage. Well, we moved from Charlotte to Greensboro, and uh, over the last few years, from a distance, we've watched as Sandy has struggled with uh, cancer. She's had cancer a couple times previously, and her cancer has come back. And then within the last year, her husband, J.D., was diagnosed with ALS. And we've kind of watched from a distance as it's just ravaged his body and his life. And just this past week, it took his life. He went home to be with the Lord. And, and so we've seen, I think many of you could attest to the ways that you've experienced and watched others suffer physically. You know, not only do we have physical limitations, but we also have spiritual limitations. Just think about your sin. Think about the times that maybe even this past week that you've gotten frustrated with someone or you've been impatient with a child or a spouse or maybe a coworker. Think about the things that you've thought in your mind. Maybe you haven't said them, but you've thought them. Anytime we sin, it's a reminder that we're not perfect, that we live in a fallen world, that we have even spiritual limitations. Later, in just a little bit, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to remind one another that we need the blood of Christ because we're sinful. It's important to notice that Paul actually, not only do we see our weakness as both being physical and spiritual, but Paul draws attention to one particular thing in verse 26. He says this. He says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now, this is an interesting statement because the Bible gives us lots of instruction about what it looks like to pray and how to pray, that we're to pray in faith and in the Spirit, and we're to pray without ceasing, and Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. And so I was wondering, as I was studying this text, I was wondering, what, is, what does this mean that we don't know how to pray for as we ought? And I, I think as I, was, as I was wrestling with it and thinking about it, I realized there are a couple situations where we struggle to pray. I think one of them is that we struggle to pray when we're deceived by sin and the world. James says this in James chapter 4. He says this. He says, you ask, so you pray, and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What James is essentially saying is, look, you're you don't know what to pray for because you're praying for things that have to do with your desires and the world's desires. And so I'd ask you today, if you're struggling to know what to pray for, if that's a sign of weakness in your life, is it possible that it's because you're making friends with the world, that you're spending time apart from Christ, and so you're not sure even what to pray for or how to pray? You know, our, our prayer lives are great indicators of our spiritual health. I think many of us, if we're honest at times, we'd say we just we struggle to pray in general. We don't even have this issue of knowing what to pray for. We just don't even pray. That, that should be convicting. It should, it should be an indicator that we're weak and we need 
the Spirit. We need Christ to help us. Not only do we struggle to, p- to pray when we're deceived by sin in the world, but I'd also say that we struggle to pray when we're overwhelmed by our suffering and the suffering of those around us. I want you to think for a second. Have you ever experienced so much pain and suffering that you just didn't even know what to say or what to pray? I was talking with an elder from our church a couple weeks ago, and he was sharing how this past year has been a hard year for him. He was hit, uh, hit by a car. He was in a car accident, hit by another oncoming vehicle. Uh, he ended up in the hospital for a long period of time. He had nine broken ribs. So you can see kind of the extent of the, of the, the accident. And we had a brief interaction. He just was saying, you know, the time in the hospital was hard. It was painful. It was exhausting. And he just said there were some moments where I just, all I could do was cry out to God. I didn't even know what to pray. I just asked God to be present. I wonder if you could relate to a moment like that in your life. Again, this hits home, hits close to home for us. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, Jamie and I received uh, text messages from two of our good friends. They're a married couple. They have one daughter who's a little younger than ours, and they have another child on the way. And I got this text message from Artie, and he said, hey, uh, you know, we've got our 18-week appointment. And I I knew that they had their 18-week appointment to find out if they were going to have a boy or a girl. And I got this text, and he said, hey, we, uh, we received some really hard news today. We found out that we're having a boy, but that our, our son has a condition called anencephaly. And he's, uh, unfortunately, most, more than likely, there's, there's no way that he's going to be able to experience life outside the womb, at least for very long. And, and when you hear that kind of news and you receive that, I mean, I just, both Jamie and I just were, we're what do you even say? What do we pray? How do we encourage them? How do we pray for them? Do we pray that there would be a miracle? Do we pray that they'd have as much time as possible with their son? And what do you pray? What do you do with that kind of news? Well, I would say what this passage tells us is that we're to groan inwardly with the Holy Spirit. That we have living inside of us and we should be thankful that we know that the Spirit helps us in those moments of weakness. Just a couple points of application I want you to think about in those moments of weakness or when you think about your own weakness. There's really three things we can do with our weaknesses and limitations. One is we can deny them or diminish them. So when, when you hear that you have weakness, so as you're hearing this from me and from this text, you can say, well, that's not really me. The danger of that is that you're not really being honest about your condition, your fallen condition, your need for Christ. The second thing you can do is you can deny it, but you also can be consumed by it, where it just takes over, that all you do is you think about how weak you are and you're beyond help and that you're just kind of destined for the suffering. And what happens when you are consumed by your weakness, you don't actually allow the Spirit to help you in the midst of it. You know, both of those examples are moments where we're, we're really denying the Spirit the ability to intervene and help us. And that's robbing glory from God and glory from Christ and glory from the Spirit. So what do we do? Those are two of the options. What's the third option? The third option is that, this is from the Scriptures, is that we can boast in our weakness. 
That doesn't mean that we just glory in it, but it means that as we boast in our weakness, we can boast because Christ is sufficient to minister to us in the midst of our weakness. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Many of you have, have read this text or heard about this text. It's where he's talking about how he has a thorn in the flesh. And this is what he says in relating to this thorn in, the, in, in his flesh. He says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then he says this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So what are we to do? We're not to deny our weaknesses and limitations. We're not to be overwhelmed and consumed by them, but we're to actually boast in them so that Christ can receive glory when he ministers to us in those moments. Third question, this will be the, the last question that we'll address is how does the Spirit help us? We know that the Spirit helps us as Christians. We know why He helps us, but how does He help us? Well, I want us to focus our attention to the end of verse 26 and 27. Paul mentions that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then he says that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there's a lot here, and I'm not going to be able to unpack all that's here, uh, you can thank me for that later, because honestly, we could preach a whole, a whole other sermon on this, uh, these two verses. But this is, just want to highlight a few things. One, when it says the beginning of 26, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, that word helps means that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to help us. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit takes over fully. It actually means that there's an active role that we play alongside of the Spirit as we're being helped by Him. Then this word intercedes. You might wonder, what does that mean? Is that prayer? Well, it is that the Spirit prays, but there's, there's questions about, does it mean that the Holy Spirit, is He directly praying to the Father, or are we praying to the Father? And what I would say is yes to both. What this text is saying is that the Spirit is groaning and causing us to groan and the result of that is prayers to God. This is uh, what one pastor said in describing this text. He said, the Holy Spirit indwells everyone who belongs to Christ. And so his ministry of prayer comes from within us. While Jesus' ministry of intercession takes place at the right hand of the Father. Think about that for a second. What great news is that? We have Christ who's sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for us. And then we actually have the Spirit of God living in us, helping us to pray. Now this third term I want to define for us, we have helps, intercedes, and then groaning. I thought the best thing to do was to just kind of uh, explain it how it was explained to me. This is what this idea of groaning means. It means that the Spirit burdens us with inexpressible longings to know and do the will of God. He then takes those burdens to the Father in an articulate form on our behalf. So the Spirit burdens us with these longings to know and do the will of God, and then He takes those longings within us to the Father. Now this is significant. The fact that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us is important. 
It's important for a couple of reasons. One is that the Spirit, it means that the Spirit helps us by identifying with our weakness. You know, as Christians, I think, I think we often know that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. In Hebrews, it talks about how we have a, a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness. So we know that Jesus, Philippians 2, Paul talks about how Jesus became a man. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death. And so Jesus knows what it's like to be a man. He knows, he understands some of these limitations. But what we see here is not, to, not only does Jesus sympathize with our weakness, but the Holy Spirit also understands our weaknesses and limitations. This has significant implications for our lives. It means that we have a God who doesn't leave us alone in the midst of our suffering. What this is saying is that the Spirit of God, who doesn't have any of these limitations, actually within us groans and longs for redemption. That as we long to not be in these bodies anymore and to be with Christ, the Spirit actually is longing and groaning in us and with us and for us. You know, think about this, the disciples, they had Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They ate meals with him. They hung out together. They probably laughed together and joked together. And you'd think they, ha they had it made, right? Well, no. What does Jesus actually say to the disciples in John 14? Well, he says, it's going to be better for you when the Holy Spirit comes, that the Father is going to send a helper, and that you're better off with the helper. Think about that. We have we have the helper. I think we often look at the disciples and say, well, it would have been so easy if we had Jesus walking alongside of us. And I would say, not necessarily so, because Jesus says he's given us the Spirit to do life with us. That should be great encouragement and comfort to us. So not only does the Spirit help us by identifying with our weakness, but the Spirit also helps us by aligning our prayers with the will of God. Now, stay with me. I know, I know we're, we're nearing the end here. This is very complex, and I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible. What does it mean that the Spirit helps us by aligning our prayers with the will of God? Bear with me. Here's, here's what I think it means. God, see, this passage is saying that God has the ability to search our hearts. He knows our hearts. And He knows the mind of the Spirit. So he knows what the Spirit thinks. And the Spirit, according to this passage, intercedes for us according to the will of God. So the Spirit is groaning. He's, his, the Spirit's desires are the, the Father's desires. The Spirit's desires are in accordance with the will of God. And as the Spirit is groaning and longing for the will of God to take place, we pray. And when we pray, those things are heard by God. And, and here's, here's where it all comes together. When God hears the very prayers of God, he cannot say no to them. When the, when the Father hears the Spirit's prayers, which are according to his will, he answers them. I, I hope you see what the implications of that mean. That means that we can pray, and we should pray, and we should pray in the Spirit. You know, I think often we look at spiritual people and we somehow, we kind of look at them and think, well, sure, that's why they get so many prayers answered and it's, they're just spiritual people. 
Well, the reality is that's true because spiritual people are walking by the Spirit. They're led by the Spirit. They're filled with the Spirit. And so what happens? Well, they begin to, they begin to have the same desires that the Spirit has. And those very, those very desires and longings are longings and desires that line up and match up with the will of God. So I, I think the person that lives by the Spirit and is filled with, with the Spirit begins to pray the very will of God because the Spirit's living and dwelling inside of them. And so they're going to see prayers answered. Does that mean every prayer is going to be answered exactly, exactly the way they want it to? No. But it means there's going to be a lot more of their prayers are going to be lined up with the will of God. And God's going to answer those prayers. What do we do with all this? There's a lot that we've covered today. We've talked about how the Holy Spirit helps us. We talked about why He helps us and the specific means by which He helps us. So what are some applications? What do we do with these rich, deep truths? The first thing I would say is we need to, we need to be honest with ourselves about our weaknesses and limitations. So what, I just would ask you today, are you, have you been honest with God about your limitations and your weaknesses? And have you asked him to help you in them? You know, some of you, in the, many of you in this room are probably believers in Christ. And so uh, that has certain implications for you. I think there's probably some of you in this room who maybe aren't sure where you're at spiritually or would say, I'm not a follower of Christ. Part of coming to faith in Christ is an acknowledgement for the first time that you're weak and you're in need of a Savior. That might be an application for you tonight. You know, I say regularly to our college students that there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. It's easy at times to think we can somehow do this life on our own. We can walk, even walk as a Christian on our own. And I just would say that's not the case. We don't see that in the scriptures, and I, I, don't, I haven't watched that played out to much success. We need the Spirit and we need the body of Christ. Just another question for you to think about. How many, how many people in your life are in your life currently where you can share and be open and honest about some of your struggles? I think that's an, a, another application. Do you have people in your life that can point you to truth and who can help you in the midst of your weakness? Another application is for those who aren't suffering but maybe know someone who is. Ask that God would give you an opportunity to minister to them. So you might not be suffering right now, but you might know someone who is. And it might be a great opportunity for you to encourage a Christian or to share the gospel and the hope of Christ with that person. And to explain how we have a God who's with us in our weakness. We have a God who intercedes for us, who groans with us. Now lastly, no, many of you in this room, maybe you're not suffering. Maybe you're not suffering right now. Maybe you're not even aware of many people around you who are suffering. So what do you do? Well, I would say store these deep, theological, theologically rich truths, store them away and remind yourself of them because the reality is one day you are going to be suffering or someone around you is going to be suffering. The scriptures say that through many tribulations, through many trials, we'll enter the kingdom of God. It's promised to those who are in Christ. 
So take these truths, store them away, and in those moments of great weakness and great need, pull them back out and be reminded that we have a God who's with us and for us in the midst of our weakness.